0: blog talk radio live from Washington DC it's quintessential listening poetry online radio QLPOR as it's widely known features a bevy of poets spoken word artists and live poetry readings with best selling authors your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram Hello, everyone. Welcome to the program. Today, my special guest is Megan Zippin. Megan is a poet, a wife, a mom, an author, and she's also a Boston Marathon bombing survivor. Her book, First Light, published by Namiria Publishing, is a collection of poetry that is a personal timeline from the time of the bombing to her healing and becoming a parent, Megan, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're more than welcome. You know your story just my thinking about it sounds so it sounds so incredible that it could happen this way what are your thoughts. How did yeah. this happen? Yes, tell us please
1: um it. It happened in an instant, I think mm. I would say. I I was signed up to run the 2013 Boston Marathon. It was a beautiful mm-hmm. day. It was a beautiful morning. And um, I ran my race as, uh, as I would have ran any other. Um, and as I got to about mile 24, 25, there was a clock tower in Boston. And I realized that if I picked up my pace just a little bit, I might beat uh, a four-hour time, which felt important to me. And so Mm -hmm. I picked up my pace just a little bit. And uh, as I rounded the corner onto the last road in Boston where it ends, I had two friends who were waiting for me. We had planned that. And uh, they blew me kisses and said, we're running to the finish. And I said, okay. So I was on the road, they were on the sidewalk, and just as my foot hit the finish line, uh, the first bomb exploded, and then uh, it caused me to turn around, and as I did that, uh, the second bomb exploded, and um, you can, I'm sure, imagine what was around me, and I also knew that the the girls were inside of that.
0: I don't know what to say. I really
1: don't. Well, it, it's nothing that you know. It's like it's all about timing, right? You can, you yes.
0: Can,
1: there's nothing that that I could have done, and there's no, it's taken a long time for me to really understand that there's nothing that I did. It just was a matter of of circumstance and unlucky timing, and um and then growth, I guess, and feeling from that point forward.
0: One question. Why were you called to give a statement?
1: Uh, I was called to give a statement at, uh, you're speaking about at the, the trial? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, um, I was asked to give a statement because um, anyone who was uh considered within this certain pool of victims that were, mm-hmm. um, you know, X ex- close to the event um, that were originally interviewed by the FBI. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were offered the opportunity to give a statement in court at the sentencing. And I really felt like this will probably be my only time to ever not only say anything to him, but also just to face him and kind yes. of ha- have that moment, and I didn't want that moment to to pass me by mm-hmm. I understand and so the pre- the preface of my book um is the victim impact statement that I uh read to the bomber Wow,
0: that you read to him,
1: yeah, standing in the courtroom just you know straight away,
0: wow. You know, we've been planning this program for some time, and I know that you love poetry, and that's why I'm glad you're here, because talking about poetry, being able to vent, share your story through poetry is so, so, so important. So, Megan, what is poetry to you? Based on all you've seen in the world, what is poetry to you?
1: I think it's a really great question, and you've probably heard, I think you said I'm your three hundred and ninety seventh person. You <laughs> probably heard three hundred and ninety-seven different answers. Um, for me, uh for me poetry is a place where I can convey emotion and I can um be as kind of concise and direct or I can be as metaphorical as I would like and Poetry leaves room for all of that, um, and I like to write in a way that I hope feels approachable, mm-hmm. and I want someone to be able to pick up a poem like I can, mm-hmm. read it and be done with it, and mm-hmm. you know not have to go to the next and the next and the next. I like that they can stand alone and stand alone in their stories.
0: Oh wow. Stand alone in their story.:
1: Yeah. Because I don't think that we can ever all relate to everything, you know, whether it mm-hmm. be a memoir or or a a book or maybe there's a passage or a chapter that speaks to you. But with poetry, there might be one poem from start to finish, and you've connected to the whole thing. And yes. for me, that that sense of feeling understood by someone else's words um, mm-hmm. has been very impactful.
0: That's great. Mm. Tell
1: me about
0: before we continue this poetic journey. Tell about an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power.
1: Hmm. Um, one of the first spoken word poets that I heard was Sarah Kay, hmm. um, and, and she wrote a poem that's called "If I Had a Daughter," and I'm hmm. sure you can find it on. Um, I know she was on TED or TEDx. You could find it there. And her words were so powerful to me. And I listened to it over and over. Um, and the fact that she was able to convey such power and such emotion and different characters, um, mm-hmm. it, it struck something in me. And um I won't ever I watch that, that her read that po- uh or speak that poem probably mm-hmm. like every couple of months because it just it it um it's powerful.
0: So it touched you in your heart somehow?
1: It touched me in my heart. It made my whole body, you know, have a reaction. I have three sons, but yes. <laughs> if I had <have> a daughter <laughs> um it it really uh it was so beautiful and so powerful and um, free of any like expectation or excuses. It, it's just beautiful. I think.
0: Okay. Right. Very nice. Please, Sarah, please share some of your work with us. Please.
1: Sure. Uh, so I, the first section of poems that um, I've decided for for tonight are just giving a little bit of, of an overview of kind of where I started, uh, where I landed, and then where, I, where I'm going. So the first one is called Space. One time I heard, the space between striped grains makes the wood strong. <laughs> the space between musical notes creates the magic hymn. The space between two heartbeats holds our sweet breath. For when we lose our breath, our pace, our space, our trace of angels' wings, we lose our chance to ease again and feel the music sing. The space is what invites our breath to land sweetly on our soul. The space is where our bodies rest as tears run down our nose. The space is where we feel that catch and halt our swallowed pride. The space bears witness silently to grief hidden deep inside, strong, and makes the music sing. Then please give me the space to breathe again and grow my phoenix wings. The next poem is called Swatting Flies. Old telephone booths, like the red ones on cobbled, quiet streets, hold more than their fair share, offering simultaneously the gifts of containment and space. I was in one, minding my own business when it got knocked over. Crash busted at the seams. Stunned, I checked for my part. Pieces of my scarlet vessel cast into the distance. Broken and never to be seen again. The booth and I longed to rise. Over time and with the help of some tender calloused hands, the booth got propped back up. Rapier shims there, some bolsters on one side. I sat blankly, unable to lift my limbs, like a ragged doll soaked through to her filling. Unbothered by the persistent stare, my eyes did not reflect, gloss, or shine. My shell, deceptively heavy, left a blotchy print behind, evidence despite my fog. Together, the booth and I rested on the earth, content with an invisible plumb line to guide us, hide us, help us to blend back in. The booth was uncomfortable, and yet it was mine. It looked familiar and reminded me of its old ruby and sheen. No one else remembered the wonder or even the crash. They simply saw a broken box and an inconsistent mark on the floor. Evidence a girl had been here, confirmation that before did exist. Compassionate hands plugged holes where water dripped in on rainy days and welded the misshapen frame upright. Please don't mistake the overly worked metal for uptight weakness or let the sharp edges spark distrust. The hammered booth is trying to do everything. Stand up, hold up, hold in, contain. Eventually, the cardinal booth became home again. There's a breath of memory, the booth's original groundedness, spaciousness, and ease. But the air is different in here now, that I know, and it makes me homesick for the past. One day, a fly flew in the door, snuck in out of sight. Flies in gardens, at picnic grounds, or in your big backyard, everyone has their space. Maybe a carefree swipe to the air. No bother. In the glass booth, the fly is confused. It keeps banging into the walls. How do they even get in here? Why can't I get out? Inside the booth, my spirit swaps. I swing, stumble, and swipe. I wish I had a tool, something less primitive than my doll-like hand something more accurate that I could command, something faster, something to stop the buzz. The fly keeps flying, invariably failing to find the craft door. My hands hover, perpetually hoping to help it out or to hit it. The booth keeps standing, propped, tattered, welded, and mended, and I, propelled by tired hands and gentle hearts and knowing words, keep going. And the next poem is what the title of the book is called, which is First Light. There's that moment when the tiniest sliver of sun creeps past the horizon, confusing our fuzzy brain. We can't define up or down, the morning dew, the evening mist, the smell of the tide, the air full of salt, the windows dimly lit and coffee makers making, the sweeping market lights and cocktail mixers mixing. The benchmarks of time that mark the sun's rising or setting. They are clues to the game. My body and mind are the sliver of sun crawling up and bowing down. But my brain can't find the messages to clue me in on the path. I'm anxious. I'm anxious. This is anxiety. Am I ill? Something bad is happening. Something bad is about to happen. Nothing is happening. No, no, this is anxiety. Take some deeper breaths. Move your body. Clasp your fists on grip. I'm queasy. I'm queasy. This is a virus. No, I'm pregnant. No, I'm nervous. Why am I nervous? I'm not nervous. What does that smell? Was it her voice? I'm not queasy. I'm panicking. Take time. Be still. Breathe. I'm panicked. I'm panicked. This is panic. If it's that, is it that he's returning from work? It's hormones. It's not hormones. It's anticipation. Of what? It's the color of the shirt. Don't wear that shirt. It's the guy from the gas station. It's nothing. Shower. Take meds. So if I'm anxious and I take meds, will my nausea go away? If I'm queasy and I drink ginger ale with a panic lesson? If I panic and then it's over, will my tortured heart resolve? Like a prism in a window trying to catch first light or last light. I'll wiggle and wrangle and wonder, why are my clues jumbled? Why does first light and last light, morning dew and evening mist? Why do they all feel the same? Imprisoned in a body that begs for its compass to write, I keep searching for first, I mean last, I mean first light. Thank you.
0: Oh, thank you. You know, it's funny. I heard as I listened to you, anxiety. So yeah. I was surprised to hear you talk about it in your last poem, but I heard it. What, in terms of your experiences, did you find any connection between your health, physical or mental, and your relationship with poetry prior to this event, the event that took place? Did you ever think um, about that?
1: Yeah. You know, that's it is a really great question, and I've always had a connection to to poetry and the power of words to convey um, like deep feeling and emotion. And so, although I can't say with certainty that when I read a poem before, um, that if it had the word anxiety, I felt anxious. But Mm -hmm. before all of this happened, um, I wanted to read things that made me feel something in my body. To me, that's the power of the work. Okay. So, so I, I can't say with certainty, but um, I can say now, um, having I've read so many memoirs and so many works that I just look to try and find something that makes me feel like I'm not the only one feeling a certain way. Okay. Um, so it's quite powerful now.
0: I want to just sit with that a second so you can see or feel a quantitative difference between before and now.
1: Yeah, I I definitely have in my mind and kind of exist in a body that very much feels like um a before and an after.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the the longer that I kind of move away from from the event, um the less that my body kind of like gets homesick for who that who the person was that I used to be. Cuz I used mm-hmm. to be very homesick for her and I like couldn't find that comfort in my body that, that I used to feel. And now, 10 years later, um, I don't look for it as much because I think I'm learning to live and appreciate my life and the world in a, in a different way.
0: You know, you share in your statement that your anxiety was so severe that at one point you were experiencing panic attacks almost daily. It had to be yeah indescri- indescribable.
1: It was it was very difficult. Um, you know, I had to leave the job that um, I was graduating from business school and had a job lined up. I did. I wasn't able to start that job, and then the job that I did start, um, I wasn't able to continue because you know my my body was just running on so much adrenaline. Mm-hmm. that I didn't even, you know, I didn't know up from down. I didn't know the sunrise from the sunset. I couldn't um, delineate, you know, a real bear coming out of the woods from the idea of a bear coming out of the woods. It all felt the same to me. And it was manifesting in um, quite debilitating panic. Mm-hmm. So you know, mm-hmm. if you're walking on the sidewalk,
0: mm-hmm.
1: oh, Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, please, please. I was going to say, Continue. if you're
1: walking on the sidewalk and one day the sidewalk blows up, it's very difficult to walk on the sidewalk again. Wow.
0: I've never, ever heard anyone make a statement like that. Someone has lived through that. Yeah. We take so much for granted in life. Sometimes we take life for granted itself. Yeah, Hmm. it's true. Here's a question: Does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not?
1: The answer feels pretty definitively no. It does not hurt me to write poetry, and I I attribute that to. Um, a lot of the way my poetry came to be and comes to be is by short notes that I write down, um, mm-hmm. usually on my phone and it might just be like a feeling I had or something quickly I experienced. But when I then look back and I maybe use it as a prompt,
0: um, mm-hmm.
1: when I end up writing the poetry and completing it, um, I really, I think, I think I benefit from and I also look forward to the, that I can tell the story and there's no, like, person asking, like, what else or what's next or
0: mm-hmm.
1: tell me more. It's kind of a way for me to think about the experience or the emotion and have a complete thought about it and then close mm-hmm. it and put it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please
0: share more of your work.
1: Sure. Um, so this section starts with a story, uh, about the bomber and kind of leads us through some grief. The first one is called a man. How do we decide if you live or if you die? My eyes transfix when they catch your sight, wondering what the reverse image might be. Who do you see? Where do our energies meet? They don't. You are stone cold and hollow. Your suit does not make you a man, nor do your shiny shoes or a tie on your neck. I remember, don't you think I forget, that neck nearly killed you once. You ran from the scene, a coward, not a man, as your beloved brother's blood pulled on the floor and he died in the cutter. You never say sorry. Do you think of our pain? You smirk, blink, and otherwise stay still. Those handcuffs, they hold your boyish and lanky and impish brain. Where you live now, your body, your heart, your belief is the same. Glory as a martyr, peace without shame. I was afraid of you then. I'm afraid of you now. It doesn't make sense. I don't know how it's possible that your room was near ours. As I paced down the hallway trying to breathe, I found out you were there. It brought me to my knees. How did the man who tried to kill us all, how can he be here in the same hall? With experts who make magic of death, Defying odds, defying hate, they hold their breath. They see you as a gunman, as a medical test. I see you as fear. I worry somehow I'll find myself near your body, your voice. See your vacant eyes up close. You're handcuffed, they're armed. Away from the media, the outraged and alarmed. Resting shell yet alive next to all who you harm. I wonder about your dreams as the guards keep you still. Do you dream of killing? Do you dream of escape? Do you wonder what would have happened had you run late? I wonder every single day. Had I walked? Had I sprinted? Had I missed my gait? Could I have changed the end of your master plan? Will I ever view you as a full-grown man? You lost that title in my mind when you sat there smirking and slow blinking your eyes. Your suit was neat and your shoes shined bright. But still, as I saw you, my body halted up tight. A man makes mistakes. Then he lets tears fill his eyes. A man bends his head when a child dies. You, you are not a man of this kind. You're a human, a killer, ingrained in my mind. Random in timing, landing in space, my kids are sheltered from knowing your face. They live life with joy and a sense of place. The boys are kind and share stories of grace. Our home is a privilege you may not have known, from infants to toddlers to humans full grown. A man you are not. Freedom will no longer be a taste you feel in your body or should expect in your soul. You killed, you maimed, sit now and pay the toll. You stole light, you stole fight, you stole peace in the night. Now go to bed alone and sleep tight. This is called Love Letters. Survivors don't write love letters to their bombers. We post lost signs on neighborhood telephone poles. This has to be about trying. This has to be about effort. My try is important. And if you tell me to stop trying, then you're telling me to stop surviving. Survivors don't write love letters to the people who hurt them. We write love letters to those left behind. We write love letters to our former selves. I want to know how many fixers will it take. I want to know how many practitioners, how many more hours, how much more time, how many willows, how much more bends. Have you panicked before? Really, truly panicked? Because if you have, then you know you can't possibly take care of someone else. You can't talk, can't name what you see in the room, focus on the color blue or the hair tie on your wrist. You can hardly breathe. That is survival. Survivors don't write love letters to terrorists. We write letters for ocean bottles and wish for rescue on the other side. No forward momentum, no independence, no breaking free. No drinking, no benzos, marijuana, it won't even give me a high. Survivors don't write love letters to the stoned. We write love letters to the moon and the stars. Trying must matter. It must, it must. If only you knew how well you were doing. In regards to who? Old me? Wait, be patient. You're not alone, but I am. When the panic strikes, I am. I beg to not be alone. Survivors write love letters. We grow bigger hearts. We feel deeper gratitude. Our patience is masked by overwhelming fatigue. But it's in there, I promise, right next to our try. Mm -hmm. Trying must matter because otherwise we're just existing. And just existing will never, ever be enough. And the next one is called... Grief is greedy. Grief is greedy. It takes and connives and lingers long past its public light. That was awful. Remember that? Those poor people. Grief is not sympathy, though the masses may feel confused. Grief is not pity nor shame. Grief is an unrelenting tightening in your throat, like twirling vines closing off a tree's life. A squeezing and weaving so woven you can mistake it to belong. From far away, it's a garden, bittersweet, tender and wilding. Up close, if you know where to look, you'll witness the suffocating grip. Grief is a paralyzing limbo between a sadness you fear will never host enough tears and an ambivalent abyss so devoid of emotion that you fear you're broken beyond repair. Grief is greedy. It sucks and it draws and it throbs. It takes and it takes, slowly removing evidence of what was and replacing the marrow with a longing so deep your bones beg to breathe. Grief does not leave you how it found you. It rinses your memories, creating a patchwork of the past. As you try to fill the gaps, the harshness of the edges slice you open and the holes seep like algae. Your heart and spirit slip through. The edges spray as the mangled threads Scaffolds, your shells remain. Thank you.
0: Mm. Need a minute. Thank you, Megan. First, I'd like you to tell me about the book's title, First Light. Sure. Give me more about the title.
1: So I was... I was attempting to give someone who has never had a confusion in their body or someone whose compass just always points them in the right direction. um, I wanted to offer them that sense of what it might be like if when you saw the first light, the first light of the day, Mm -hmm. what if you didn't know if it was sunrise or sunset? Like, what if your body actually lost this compass? And despite all of the cues around you that you you know, oh, that's definitely sunrise, the sun is shining a particular way, or well, that's definitely sunset because it always looks that way on the ocean. What if those messages that you always knew, what if they weren't correct anymore? What if they were misguiding you? To me, that's kind of what happened after the bombing. I lost any sense of, like, who and where I was and orienting myself to what was around me. And had I been up all night, was, was the sun rising? Had I slept? Um, that's where First Light came from. Mm.
0: You know, when I listened to you in that particular set, I heard... Anger, in a sense. Defiance, Mm -hmm. in a sense. Yeah. Someone trying to process a situation. Yes. And not knowing which road to take.
1: Yeah, you know, healing, many times it was said to me in the beginning, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of like platitudes, I think, that sometimes we stumble into just because we don't know what to say and um one thing that that people would say to me or folks i was working with i would say healing is not linear mm-hmm. and i would you know what does that mean like what is the next step tell me what to do <laughs> um and i i hope that both with my writing and with anyone who i speak to um there there aren't many further truths that I've come to understand And healing is not linear. It is circular, it is backwards, it is forwards. You repeat processes that you felt like you completed, but now with new information or a new sense of purpose or being. And, um, and so perhaps the first time, you know, thinking about a man, it was based in a lot of fear. And the second mm-hmm. time that I would think about it, maybe it was more like, Damn it, you know, like how dare yes. you yes um yes so so it really uh, the line the line is not straight, that's for sure mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. you know when I asked you or said that I felt and heard anger, how angry did you get because to me, as I listened. How did the poetry assist you in that process of venting and getting it out of your system?
1: Yeah, I don't think that I felt anger uh, for a very long time. I think, mm-hmm. you know, we're all different. And yes. some people are, are quick to anger. Um, others mm-hmm. are quick to sadness. Um, I was very quick to fear. I was mm. quick to caretaking. Um, I was quick to, you know, in, in part almost dissociating. like it was that so, what happened was so big and I was yes. so quick to guilt mm-hmm. that other people who I cared about were deeply and tragically impacted by this, mm-hmm. that anger for me didn't come till much, much later.
0: Wow. So when it surfaced, how did you handle it?
1: Uh, with help. Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, I'm helped all the
1: yeah, time. I, <laughs> oh,
0: I need help 24 hours uh, a <laughs> day. Yeah,
1: me too. Um, yeah, I I think, and I think also with space and with the right container and with the right people to mm-hmm. um, to support that that feeling because if it's not something that you're necessarily quick to or comfortable with,
0: um,
1: not only are you anger, uh, angry, but you're uncomfortable in being angry. So having someone kind of guide that process for you and really Mm -hmm. giving permission to say that, you know, what happened was not okay. And Mm -hmm. it is also okay to be angry about it. Um, Mm. helps me.
0: Well, may, as you may know, is National Mental Health Awareness Month,
1: and mm, yeah.
0: uh we we champion mental health awareness on this program that is so important to yeah. find someone that you can talk to that you can vent with someone who can be objective to your story
1: yeah, and you know I think at time I'm extremely, extremely fortunate and it mm-hmm. it actually took quite some time, but You know, I also am fortunate in my life to have people now who know enough about me who can also, like, raise the flag for me. Like, Mm -hmm. if I don't know that I'm not doing well or I'm not okay, I have other people who can kind of champion that cause for me. And I think having those champions and those allies and Mm -hmm. letting people in, however infinitesimally, you know, you're comfortable with, Mm -hmm. um, you only stand to, to really benefit
0: you're my sister from another mother because uh, (laughs) I I agree with you 100%. -hmm. So for you, okay, this is what I want to know. So when you're writing, Megan, who leads you or the poem? Who's in the driver's seat?
1: I love that. I love that question. Um, It's, I write very, um, like stream of conscious and Mm -hmm. then pair back. Okay. So, um, I would, I would say that like the poetry, um, or I'll start again and maybe offer a different perspective. I, uh, I take a lot of pictures of children of my children or things that are happening in the day. And then I use the hashtag, this is my poetry or you are my poetry. Mm. Um, and, it's the same way when I when I write, you know, if I look at my children and I write a, a stream of consciousness about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of poetry kind of offers you the opportunity to take away all the extra and kind of leave the bare bones of it. Oh, um, yes. I, I love that. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> so for you, what was the most challenging sections of the collection to write?
1: The most challenging sections uh, were about, um, I think, about my personal struggle, things that encompass, okay. you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, yes. things that yes. talked about grief or friendship, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. mostly because um, there's a tendency, I think, uh, there was for me, but I think for many, when something Big or small happens. When something affects you, your world can become very small. Mm -hmm. And the only things that people know are the things that you care to share. And if you're not sharing very much, it can kind of be like a very big unraveling and like Mm -hmm. vulnerability. And so in the poems where I felt like that was going to be true, where maybe someone who I've known the last 10 years might read it and say like, what? Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of took some, some courage to muster.
0: Yes. I understand. You know, there's so many questions I want to ask you about what you just shared. But is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall?
1: Mm. Um, I think it can be both. I think okay. for me, mm-hmm. writing the poems let my guard down. It gave okay. me a space to, to complete something and for a moment let it be still and be finished. Mm-hmm. But what I find in reading poetry and what I hope that some people find in reading my work yes. is not necessarily that it's a wall, but it's something to lean upon. Mm. You know, something, like something yes. to rest your back Rest yes. your back against my back and know mm-hmm. that we have each other. Wow.
0: So are you hoping this book resonates with a wide range of readers, or are you targeting a specific group of people?
1: I hope that it resonates with a wide group of people because um, as as we continue and do a few more readings, yes. um, we'll kind of m- move into – uh, my family and my children's mm-hmm. life, my relationship mm-hmm. with my husband, and we are—we're all going through things. They just—they yes. all look different. And um, I hope that you know. Sometimes I leave my book in those little libraries that are on the sides, you know, of the road, like the neighborhood little tiny libraries. <laughs> no. um, because my ho- and I've written in the front of them, um, you know, like I hope that you find something that speaks to you. Um, because that's what I always hope for when I, Uh so if that's what I'm looking for in a book, you know, I read a lot of nonfiction. So I'm looking for connection and I'm looking to offer connection to as many people in as many ways as possible.
0: Would you please read it?
1: Sure. So after I, um, started working again, I took a different path, um, and I started doing a lot of yoga and then working um, with folks and kind of using yoga as a tool for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. any type of healing. Um, and this kind of speaks to that time. So the, the first one is called Lilu. Sitting at your funeral, invited as the healer, I am uncertain how I arrived at this place of worship, family, and intimacy. I still feel the beat of your heart in my hands. I still know the curves of your scar, where it got stuck, limiting your ability to breathe and love. I held you around your rounded shoulders. I'm distancing myself from my kids' neck. I can feel it. I can feel it. Watching their faces for years of all, from little children into kids, I look at their faces now. Your, two tiny, your tiny twin speaks, the one who calls you mama and sees you in the stars. She speaks as though she is you, bold, courageous, a quiet, dark horse. As you broke away, Lilu, I imagine she broke free. I still feel the rise and fall of your chest, calming over time. He needs to be healthy, Meg. I'm worried. I'm worried. He loses weight, gains weight, his body becomes lived. I look at his body now. He's searching for your stature, your presence, your charm. He speaks like only the broken can, soft, tight, the lost love of a breathless heart. When you slept into the stars, Lulu, I imagine he broke free. I know what's kept under the pretty tops, what you hide inside your big blue eyes. I hold your pieces gracefully, keeping them as whole as can be. Like powdered sugar sliding through a safe, like fog drifting through the fields, like water overflowing my hands, I cannot hold it all but I try. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I hope to God this is enough. One is called Listen. Listen. I believe in my heart that you'll continue on this way. The people who question your choice or who do not understand, they simply haven't been broken the same way, and so they haven't been able to grow. I know you question your ability to provide and what that looks like and what you think it should look like. Step away, dear one. This is love. Hmm. This is called Bend. Come along down to the breezy waves where sand meets open skies, where cranes dig moats and boats take note of who owns what and how. Come along down to the sunbeat walk where the pace is slow and wise, where age succeeds and breathes through weeds of towers low and high. Come along down to the whispers of waves where stucco hides truth and lies, where family ties and playground highs fall on tired eyes, where I bend and just before I break, I speak, holding tiny hands, I rise. This is called do nothing. If what you're being asked is unbearable, can you simply witness it? You don't have to do anything. Your presence is enough. Some version of her here or in some other beautiful place sees you, feels you, and she is grateful. And the last one in this section is called you are the Micah. I still see you often when the sunset hits the trees, when that one specific star shines its light as if it's saying, hey, MZ, I've got my eye on you. Your power rests in the cups of my hands, which hold the memory of your shape. A casting, a lasting imprint like a shared glue, a memory of taking over, release and inheritance exchanged through skin. We leave residue on both sides. The tears that fell left early, they fell from fear, not truth. As the last moments morphed into the first days, the pillow in your cheeks stayed dry, beautiful. For no one could guess the horror that mangled and tangled and wrangled your gritty soul down to the ground. No one new will know the breeze of your entrance, the sparkle of your gaze, and the whip of your tongue. I see you in the sea foam, in the lightning, in the layered mica hiding in the sand. Thank you.
0: In that set, for me, I heard a sense yes. of resolve, resolve, commitment to living. Yeah, commitment, commitment, commitment to living
1: also- and and to others.
0: Yes, I was going to say that. <laughs> a commitment to mm-hmm. others. See, you're my sister from another mother, I told you. so.
1: Exactly. <laughs> we're meant to <laughs> <that's> be.
0: A, <laughs> yes, we're meant to be. That's exactly what I was going to say. A commitment to others as well. <laughs> In the first piece... The word healing was used. We live in a world right now, Megan, where we need a whole bunch of healing. A whole bunch. So do you think poets must write about issues directly affecting our world?
1: I think we all as a collective stand to benefit if poets write about what's happening in our world, but I don't think it's a requirement or that's mm-hmm. necessary.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: I think that connection can be formed, you know, on any, any topic, present day or past. And also with poetry, I think sometimes we're just looking for, maybe for beauty, we're looking mm-hmm. for lightness, and not every poem is going to be that. Um, the offering is still the same. Um, for me, whether it's it's real time or some magical fantasy.
0: Wow. You know, as I listen again, what I like about your work is the that it's accessible. Thank you. Very accessible. So how hard do you think someone needs to work to solve a poem?
1: <laughs> That's a really good question. I my hope in writing and my intention in writing was to create access and Mm -hmm. to say things and offer things that I suppose at times I was looking for and couldn't find. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, although I do use metaphor and I, I I don't explicitly state everything that I'm talking about. I hope Mm -hmm. that, It's accessible enough that someone could fill in their own blank and feel seen.
0: How many more sets do you have, Megan? I don't want to keep you all night. I don't want to keep you all night. No, that's okay. (laughs)
1: Um, I I have two more, but can easily combine them into one.
0: Okay, that'll be beautiful. Well, yes, let's try that. Combine them into one. All right. So I can, yes, that'd be a beautiful way to do it.
1: Okay. So, um, this is called Dear Mama, Dear Milo. Milo is my oldest son. He's five. The snow rested sweetly on the fall's enduring leaves. Mama, 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 I love you. Bye. The branches tapped windedly on the windows as if trees were sending codes. Mama, Mama, Mama like these cool socks. The sky started gray, then blue, then pink, as the freezing earth did the opposite below. What you doing? See snow monster, Mama? Eyes blue. He has this, it means this, but not this, and oh, nothing is for sure. Mama, 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 Milo come. His hair is the shape of a thousand slinkies, perfections. His teeth have the gaps of a mighty constellation. His lips are so puckered with a ruby's complexion. Mama, 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 eat candy, mama, be a strong boy. Mama, mama, I watch a tiny little show. Mama, trucks, mama. You may say my name one million times, maybe two, I don't know. I hear you, buddy, I promise I do. I know that the words just don't flow. Your frustration is wild, untamed, unsure. Your body grows beautifully, though. I see you, buddy. I see the depths of your soul. Skin creates contact, pressure, and weight. Your brain moves faster than light. I feel you, buddy. I promise I do. I know that your heart is so right. Your eyes see the magic and tiny things, the way gears make clocks and wheels go, but also the life and flowers long gone and the vastness and sparkle of snow. I hear you, buddy. I promise I do. I see how hard that you try. I feel you reach to make sense of this world, how you linger in moments gone by. We're missing the magic. We don't feel the sun. We hear, but listening is hard. You, sir, are gifted, are present, are real, and I stand in awe of your scars. This next one is called Homestyle Love. Love. Home style, love. The dishwasher is hard. If you ask me, the plastic wiry designs aren't crafted to hold anything upright. No dishes stand tight. The plastic kids' cups won't stop falling, slipping, filling with water, residue, and grime. I don't understand what I'm blocking with this cutting board. I don't know why this goes on top. I believe if you put straws in the machine, then they should be cleaned. Water should straw itself right through the hole. Because of the dishwasher, I know that you love me. I will lose my mind if folded laundry rests neatly on the bed where I sleep, a symbolic barricade to rest, a literal obstruction of justly earned sleep. My cup overfloweth that you did the wash, that you right-side-outed tiny pants and onesies, that you folded towels in a way that I simply cannot master. Thank you. Thank you. And please don't place your beauties where I sleep. Because of clean laundry, returned kindly to the floor. Speaking of clothes, I know I wear yours. I wear your socks a lot. And sin of all sins, I don't give a flying baby's diaper if they match. Your unmatched socks rest in a small pile, speckled with color and print. My feet stand beside them, gloriously bombed with one foot pink toed and one foot bright yellow. Your plaid feet grounded beside me. Because of shared socks, I know that you love me. The internet, who is in charge? I ask you twice a week. Wires, okay, who put them down there? And who told them to dig and lay? And who's the boss of it? No, who, can it break? Can someone turn it off? No, not Google, the internet. Who works for the internet? I know I just asked you. I know you showed me a YouTube video. It was insufficient, who owns it? Yes, who owns the internet? Because of my brain, I know that you love me. You never love me less, you always love me more. More is more is more. I love you, too. One is called Four Boys. I care about my boys with green and blue eyes. Some have curls. One dreams of curls gone by. I worry sometimes what everyone else sees, the people in the store, at the park, in the restaurant, in the pickup line, in the airport, at the pool, at the playground, on a holiday. I worry they think we're out of control. I worry I'm not doing my best. Your rudeness is at time, Your rudeness at times is in fact that while his it's a true inability to see behind beyond his immediate line of sight beyond his hands beyond his wish for a lollipop beyond his wish for less our movement like that of a car dealership's tall blowing balloons is unpredictable chaotic and wild I worry that they see a bull in the china shop Actually, he's learning where his body is in space, where the pieces need to land next and next and next, and how not to tumble down. I learn. it's not a matter of tough love or exposure or protection. We're not doing things to offer up a spiteful chance to debate. We're doing them because the people we love most have tiny blue and green eyes. One guy is deeply overwhelmed by excess, and by excess, I mean more than one or two options. One guy is communicating in a way that makes you unsure. I know it's different from what you're used to. It's different from what I'm used to, too. I need to watch him, see him, listen, and sign. I'm learning. They are not stubborn. We are not stubborn. Unless copper is stubborn for turning tan and green, don't rub it off. Don't try and find the original that allows us all to look the same. Look for the blues and the greens. Let them swirl into magical, original, one and only voice and the last poem that i'll read is called i fight i fight for you because you're three and your job is to be free i fight for you because you're two and speak like a willow tree and i fight for us because we are a we coiled like garden peas for you when the tides run hard against the grain insane lame with endless refrains noticing planes flying up in the sky you point your tiny fingers high twirling and twirling speaking silent as the night a plane is there mama you scream with speechless might i fight when the earth feels sinky slinky inky black liquid seeping through every inkling marking out what we had planned as though the minutes could never stand to hold our hope And our tiny wishes. The staffing is low. The progress is slow. The elfin Sprite has so much to learn. But he knows. He knows. It's you who might not see the light. His old-fashioned and experienced open eyes. This is not his first trip. You just don't realize. I fight. The days when air is hard to breathe. When a sense of peace is a tacit tease. I look to the trees. I feel the breeze. My heart falls down beside my knees exaggeration your expression said but spend a moment in my head with my feet upon the ground listening to new unsculpted sounds it bounds it doesn't fall with grace my heart into that scary place where my knees are level with the earth wherein guilt resides instead of worth it's in this familiar place when I hold my head high tears gleaming on my face I fight because without it Will you win your complex terror fight? And then one day, I had a boy who needed help to fight. I opened up my box of will and refound my broken might. This little boy had slipped inside and filled emptiness with light. He said, slow down, see the sun, send questions, and run. My brothers are coming, the elf said. They need fighting, too. He's quiet like a secret son who listens more than most. But he's my brother, and I know his voice is not a ghost. He needs us, Mama, to fight the fight that will keep him talking strong. And even if that fight, Mama, the fight might be really long. I fight for you because you're three and see sparkle in the rain. I fight for you because you're two and your will doesn't wane. I fight for me because I have you and my heart owes it to the world to share the beauty and the voice that your future holds. I fight for us because we are a we, and I, a you, a me. And I fight for us because we all deserve a chance at living free. Thank you.
0: All right. Beautiful. Thank you. You know, in that particular sense, you know, life can be bewildering. Yeah. But I heard, for me, purpose, possibility, that we need to continue. Continue yeah. living, continue growing, continue understanding, especially with your little ones. Yeah. Because I'm sure they don't know the entire story. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. I mean, they, they're they young enough that they don't know anything about it. And, you know, wow. I'm the only version of me that they've ever yes. known.
0: Yes. I they understand. don't know
1: that before. <laughs> wow. Wow.
0: Incredible. Incredible. So as you dealt with the emotional impact of writing First Light, what did you find out about yourself?
1: I found out that there actually is an arc. You know, I found out that, yes, healing is not linear, Mm -hmm. but if I actually slow down and pause and – look at where I started if I use the spot of 10 years ago and look where I am today. My husband and I have created something that's beautiful and yeah, it's right. kind of only through, through the muck and the, in, in some ways a lot of tragedy um, mm-hmm. and trauma that we look for things that are beautiful and try to create experiences for our children and, show them that things are good and tell them to look for the helpers and we're able to help craft that narrative so i've learned through writing a narrative that um, we have some control over it wow
0: you know the one thing that i forgot to share in terms of that section i heard a person who was not only a survivor but a person who is also a thriver
1: thank you for saying that
0: Yes, that, that's that's what I heard. That was what I what I if I was reading your book, I would have felt the same way.
1: Thank you. All
0: right, <laughs> all right. Well, we're almost at the end of our <laughs> poetic journey, Megan.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow. Where it can readers
1: like
0: find? <laughs> Where can readers find your work?
1: <laughs> Um, my book is on Amazon right now. It's also at uh, barnesandnoble.com. And uh, if you're in the New England area, you can find it um, in some local bookstores. You can also find me on my website. If you read, if you want to connect or chat with me, Mm -hmm. it's meganzippin.com. I know you've posted it on your website and I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just want people to remember, you know, based on that question that you asked, uh, is poetry like, you know, is it something that opens up or is it a wall? You know, I want it to be something that people can lean on. And Mm -hmm. so um, I'm accessible and uh, want to share the journey and connect. So please do. Right.
0: Right. I really like that when you said a wall you can lean on. Oh,
1: I like that. Yeah. I like that.
0: <laughs> that was a good one. All right, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. So my last thing. What's next for you, Megan? Where do you go from here? What's next for you creatively?
1: Yeah, um, you know, uh, poetry is something that I love, um, and I would love the opportunity to to write again, um, perhaps mm-hmm. in more of like a prose short essay form um i'd like to tell the story of the people who have supported me over these 10 yes. years because in many mm-hmm. ways they're they're ordinary and they wouldn't name themselves as such but they are extraordinary mm-hmm. and i think that you know you need to look for the helpers and they're out there and some of them i only know their first name mm-hmm. um but they've had magnificent impact on me and so if if i was granted the opportunity to write a second book um it would be a privilege
0: Wow. Well, when you write that book, I want you to mm-hmm. come back and read from it okay. and share all of your works. <laughs> oh,
1: Thank boy. you so much.
0: Yes. Well, again, Megan, I don't I, incredible. And remember what I said: not only a survivor, but a thriver.
1: Thank First you, I light, heart. So I really appreciate it. <laughs>
0: First light, everyone. Head to your bookstore tonight. Head to Amazon tonight, (laughs) because it will uplift you as you continue your life journey. Right. Thank you, Megan. Thanks to our listening audience. (laughs) And as I share with everyone every week, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everybody. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.